Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're so excited to jump into today's episode, but before we do, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and today's podcast is about the Live Golf takeover of the PGA Tour. And with me today is a special guest, uh, Amar Burton, who is the founder and editor at uh, MuslimSportsTalk.com and a copy editor at The Ringer. How's everything going today, Amar? Going pretty good, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. So the, the reason I asked you on, Amar, is, as you know, is because you wrote an article on MuslimSportsTalk.com about Saudi Arabia's sports takeover triggering Islamophobia. And I thought mm. it was a really interesting angle uh, to this whole topic which has been you know, super fascinating to me. And yeah. I wanted to bring you on and talk about this. Uh, we won't get too much into golf strategy or anything <laughs> like that, but we'll talk about some of the business aspects and some of the other uh, political and social aspects of the takeover. So we'll, we'll start from the beginning. You know, how closely have you followed the emergence of Live Golf and some of the, the machinations that are happening in the background? Mm, yeah, um, I've kind of been, you know, since live golf kind of came onto the scene um you know a couple years ago um i've been following the story not so much from the golf side i mean you know i'm not i'm not a golf fan i don't play the game like you know i always joke that you know when i get old my like retired guy sports gonna probably be bowling like i'm not i don't see myself out there on the links but um just from the the business side of this live golf and the political side and kind of the media coverage and public perception, um, that was kind of what interested me in this. And so since then, I've been following, you know, everything that's been going on and, you know, with the the, um, the tour launching and, you know, their feud with the PGA and then this recent merger. So that's kind of been my, um, you know, kind of angle or, you know, the way I've been looking at it. Yeah. yeah. So what did you think of, of some of the their tactics, I would say, to, to try to steal some of the fanfare from from the pga whether it's paying guys a ton of money or basically just throwing money at the at the the problem mm-hmm. trying to take over what did you think yeah. of that approach um i mean it was it's the it was an aggressive approach and you know i feel like if you're going to do a startup any a, a league in any sport you know whether it's golf or football or you know basketball and um you know, usually the issue with a startup is they don't have as much talent. You know, we look at all these other, you know, every alternative football league that starts up every year, you know, that's kind of the one thing that keeps fans away is like, well, we know these aren't the best players in the world. So why am I going to watch this instead of the NFL? So with live golf, it's like, yeah, if you're going to go out there and really try to challenge the PGA, then you're going to have to get the best players in the world. And those guys are on the PGA. So, you know, it's like, you know, you can't do nothing but respect that approach. It's just like, okay, we're going to mm-hmm. try to get to that, the, the talent. Um, and as far as, you know, was that a sustainable model? Um, I think as long as they had the money there, as long as the investors were willing to fund it, you know, it, it could have been sustainable. I mean, I think, you know, the key with any kind of new sports league is like, do the people who are paying for it, you know, how long do they want to keep paying for it? You know, if it isn't a hit right away, you know, if it's not making a ton of money right away, like how long do they want to keep it up? You know, you look at any other startup league that folds, it's because the people who are funding it just decide, okay, like I'm out, you know, we're not, 
make enough money. We didn't get enough mm-hmm. TV deal, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, I don't know how long the Saudi um, investment fund was going to be willing to stick with it if it didn't, you know, if they never merged with PGA and, you know, if they didn't, you know, pop and, you know, start mm-hmm. making a lot of profit. Um, but, you know, that that's probably what it, what it came down to is just how much they were willing to pay. Um, and, you know, how much how much they were budgeting. I mean, you know, we can look at it and say, you know, they have six hundred billion dollars. It doesn't mean they want to spend all that on golf. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, they're going to have a line where it's like, OK, you know, we've spent this amount of money on it. Like, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, I think with I mean, sustainability, some of the, the different things they were trying to do as far as how the game was played, you know, how they structured their events, you know, they were doing mm-hmm. Um, you know, their tournaments were shorter. You know, they tried to kind of do some different rules, which you often see with a new sports league. Is, you know, they try to do something different, you know, to, have to differentiate themselves from, yeah, in this yeah. case, the PGA. Um, and, you know, usually those are kind of hit or miss, you know. Um, I do think that trying to make things shorter was a smart move. I mean, just because of For people's sure. attention, attention spans nowadays, you know. I've always said, like, NASCAR probably needs to cut their races in half, you know, like, you know, I know like, like the Indy you know, 250 or something. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, major league baseball and, you know, uh, college football, they're always looking for ways to kind of speed the game up. So, yeah. Um, I mean, baseball is little... doing it with, uh, with the pitch clock and it's, it's right. working really well as a casual baseball fan. It's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. It's a way better experience. So, right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's getting a lot of positive feedback, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. so, I think live golf trying to do that, you know, their tournaments were, uh, they were uh, 54 holes instead of 72, um, not having uh, a cut, you know, a cut line, which I think was pretty smart because if I were the type of fan where I was just tuning into a golf tournament to watch like one player and then he misses the cut after day two, it's like, why am I going to keep watching? So having it where it's like, okay, well, if I tuned in to watch this guy and he, I know he's going to play the whole time then you know that's that's a pretty smart move um that's a really cool thing i I didn't know that i mean and i think we've seen a lot of times i mean all the things that you brought up about like the outside talent the minor league aspect of it Mm -hmm. the innovation that comes from being a you know a a startup league i keep thinking about the xfl and the Mm -hmm. fact that you know they're they're the ones that introduced that spider cam that's almost you know in every soccer football broadcast now they're the ones that did that and they they're able because they're able to take those risks and stuff. Do you do you think the PGA would adopt any of these changes? Maybe from the from what Liv um, introduced. The thing I don't I'd say with the PGA, maybe with the merger. I mean, maybe you know they would be. I mean, but golf has just been, from what I know, just such a traditionalist sport and like so married to their history and slow to really change anything and you know kind of you know, just a really like, you know, we're all about the history and the tradition and these are the rules and we're not changing them. And so um, I know golf doesn't like to be gimmicky or the, the PGA at least uh, doesn't like to be gimmicky. So I don't know if they would accept some of those or, you know, adopt some of those changes, maybe just because of how this merger is structured with live having a lot more say and a lot more power then maybe the smaller league would in a typical merger, then, you know, maybe they could do that. Yeah. And golf is such a, a niche sport that they're kind of, 
they're able to get away with sticking to that tradition and being so slow to move because again, it's a niche sport. You can only, mm-hmm. only a certain, for the most part, certain class of people are able to, to watch yeah. and play it. Uh, so they are able to get away with these sort of things. So there was one yeah. other thing that you mentioned uh, about the people being able to access and, and watch the, the startup league and making that easy. So I think one thing that I was reading about was as the live tour was starting to kick off, they had a lot of trouble finding a TV rights partner uh, mm-hmm. because probably, you know, you think the big networks probably don't want to upset the PGA, uh, especially like CBS, they have the masters and some of these other ones. So I think they ended up right. on the zone, which is a, a streaming service. I think it's a little more popular in Canada, but it's more known for, for boxing mm-hmm. than anything else. Did you watch any of the broadcasts by any chance? And if you did, what did you think of the quality uh, of the presentation and the broadcast? Yeah, I didn't really watch any of the broadcast. I mean, um, they had also they got a TV deal uh, with the CW. Um, oh, that's right. Which, yeah, a lot. But yeah, a lot of their uh, their access it was through you know streaming services. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they didn't kind of get the big traditional TV deal was probably somewhat of a red flag. And you know that was something a lot of people pointed to was like, okay, this this is going to struggle. You know. They didn't get a big deal with, you know, ESPN or Fox Sports or whatever. So, um, but yeah, like, no, personally, I mean, I don't really watch it. I mean, you know, like I said, I don't really, I don't really watch the PGA, Um, (laughs) but um, I do like know a lot of people that, you know, play golf and are really into golf and just what I heard from them. um, There were like criticisms of just how the productions were, you know, how the, the live events were. Um, whether that was from a talent standpoint, um, you know, production value, things like that. And, you know, and I understand part of that might be people that just kind of have a pro PGA bias um, or anti-live bias, you know, kind of just looking for something that's wrong with it and just, you know, kind of in that mindset where they don't want it to be good. Um, And, you know, it's something new and different, you know, like we talked about, you know, that's new and different isn't always embraced by golf and in, in golf fans. Um, but yeah, I mean, from everything I heard, like there was, you know, a difference. I mean, it was a startup. It was going to take a while to get up to speed to maybe, you know, ev- catch, ever catch up to the PGA or like ever over, um, overtake it, you know, but they did have like good you know, talent. I mean, I was just looking at some of the names of some of the golfers that live signed. And I mean, it was just me as a, you know, very casual golf fan. Like I recognize a lot of the names. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they had plenty of talent in terms of the, mm-hmm. the actual golfers. Maybe the the talent gap in the broadcast. You know that you're not able to get the the top uh, commentators and stuff like that. Like you wouldn't get you know Joe Buck and Troy Aikman doing right. a, an XFL game, even if it's the XFL Super Bowl or whatever they right. call it. So, I, I can see why. I mean, from my uh, again casual golf fan uh, outlook. When I was watching it, I watched a couple holes here and there, you know, mostly on on Twitter, highlights, things like that. It seemed very much like the normal PGA broadcast, but I guess without like Jim Nance or some of those other key voices. So, uh, but yeah, it is a startup, so you got to start somewhere. Uh, so I wanted to shift gears a little bit and maybe touch a little bit on on what you talked about in your article, and I think one of the the key arguments that was being made in the world of, you know, like social commentary and stuff like that was the PGA in an attempt to keep the live group at bay, whatever 
they kind of weaponized some of the that anti-Saudi sentiment, maybe even some Islamophobic sentiment against Liv. So can you tell me a little bit about how they did that and what some of their main arguments were? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the PGA commissioner, um, Jay Monahan, I mean, he he made a lot of headlines with he took the the uh, kind of firebrand approach, um, you know, kind of t- hitting on the touchy subjects. You know, he brought up 9-11, kind of invoked that, um, just kind of did the the typical, you know, if you're supporting anything that has anything to do with Saudi Arabia, you know, you're supporting, you know, their, you know, uh, a regime that has a bad human rights record. You know, you're supporting, you know, terrorism and you're supporting violence and you're supporting, you know, um, you know, a country that doesn't treat women well and doesn't treat migrant workers well. And yeah, I mean, it was a lot of the stuff I've heard, like I'm a pro wrestling fan. And when WWE started working with Saudi Arabia and bringing shows over there, it was the same stuff, you know, the yeah, same. I remember hearing those, a lot of that. That's yeah, yeah. that a lot of people had for, you know, how could they run shows there? Um, you know, knowing, you know, what the Saudi government is known for, what their reputation is, you know, what, what people believe their history is. So um, that was, you know, some of what the PGA did. Um, just also doing, I mean, as far as dealing with their golfers, like tactics, like, you know, threatening to, you know, any golfer that worked with Liv, you know, PGA was going to ban them for life and you can't come back, you know, if you go work for Liv and just trying to discourage any of their golfers from going over to the other side, um, which is, again, you know, that, that happens in sports. I mean, you know, again, me being a wrestling fan, it happens in wrestling. You know, guys try to go from one promotion to the next and some uh, companies might, you know, you kind of use that threat okay well if you go over there you can't you can't ever come back over here so you know mm-hmm. think think twice for you to do that so um yeah and you know with the pga i mean it was just a lot of um kind of tactics to just make live look bad which had nothing to do with the actual golf product and just kind of everything to do with them being aligned with saudi arabia mm-hmm. and you cover this in your article that some of the irony involved with with this line of thinking and this you know the, the way that this message was being uh put out into the world can you touch on that a little bit and what the ironic aspect of of this uh kind of attitude is yeah i, I found that ironic because you know you look at the pga you know they run you know most of their events are run in the u.s and everything that you could say about saudi arabia you could say about the u.s you know as far as you know, very true. Very true. Yeah, you know, war and um, you know, going to other countries, committing violence, and you know, just domestically, you know, human rights abuses, mistreatment of women, mistreatment of minorities, mistreatment of migrant workers, like you know, slavery. Um, like you know, if you name it, it's it happens in America. And it's a long rap sheet. Yeah. Yeah, it sure. is. You know. Yeah, and you know, every every powerful country has that rap sheet you know um and like so to kind of like i don't know, single out saudi arabia is like well you know this is a place that you can't do business with because look at all the stuff they've done and i'm like well look at the stuff that 
the U.S. has done. You know, look at the stuff that happens in Europe and there's no objection to doing business there. So I just, yeah, I found that kind of ironic and almost like hypocritical to, to kind of take that angle on it. Um, oh, absolutely. Just, yeah. 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 And there's that additional layer of, you know, while we're being told by the PGA or, you know, whoever else, WWE fans that, you know, shouldn't be doing business with Saudi Arabia, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, our government is doing a lot of business with them with arms deals and all kinds of other stuff. We have military bases there. We have oil compounds there. So it's a very, uh, it's a very multi-layered relationship. It's not just about sports, but I think you brought up a really good point in your article is just how this is, it's, it's conflating working with, you know, what, what Saudi people have done perhaps when it comes to nine 11 or some other things with the mm. entire government. And just the fact that, you know, there's that, that tinge of racism that comes into the picture whenever, you know, a foreign entity, especially a, a black or Brown foreign entity right. is, is ex- exercising some power there. Uh, so what do you think ultimately caused the PGA to cave and merge with live? Cause it seemed like from, the outside looking in that this was going to be a long drawn out battle. It's going to be a ton of money being thrown around on both sides. So what, what kind of, I mean, not to, I don't want to use this uh, phrase here, but what, what broke, which straw broke the camel's back in this uh, situation? I, from everything I've heard, it was the ton of money, you know, that was going to get thrown around. I mean, you know, you could say that the PGA was, you know, kind of on top as far as the public relations battle, um, especially, you know, on the American side, I mean, like it's it's not hard to get people in America to, you know, dislike Saudi Arabia. Um, but is when it came to the money, you know, um, just from everything I heard, it was like once the PGA was unable to kind of nip the live problem in the bud right off the bat and they didn't just, OK, this is a new competitor. You know, we kind of got rid of them um, and live was kind of OK. They're going to stick around for a while now we're in this battle that could become financial and they're not going to ha- be able to outspend lives investors. You know, again, if those investors want to really do this and spend that money, um, the PGA, you know, the, it was just going to be a lot of long, expensive battles for them. And I think they just were kind of like, okay, we're not going to win this on the money side. So let's see if we can work together. You know, this is, Mm-hmm. cheaper for them to work together and then a lot of people involved in pga were going to make a lot of money if they yeah. decide to work <laughs> together so you know as is often the case in pro sports it really i think just came down to money you know money and business mm-hmm. yeah and of course you know saudi arabia has like we've talked about a pretty almost an endless um you know budget that they can spend on this of course they would probably set a budget but as, mm-hmm. as they they can be stubborn with the money and the money we've seen you know, in the past with uh, the with Qatar and the way that they got the World Cup and the money that they threw around for that and the money that they threw at the game, if you have enough money, you can pretty much solve any problem that you want in sports. You know, even yeah. if public it's a public opinion is not quite on your side, eventually you're going to win out. And it seems like, from my understanding, the PGA is going to still be in control, but the Live Golf or, or the Saudi Investment Fund, whatever, they're going to be quite involved, but again, but they won't have the final say on a lot of things. So mm-hmm. do you think that, that, that this was their plan all along was to force that merger? Um, I mean, I know that's a popular theory. Um, I don't know if that was their plan. I mean, I think, you know, they put a lot of money into 
you know, funding this startup. And I think that um, it's it's just as likely that their plan was just to create a existing alternative to the PGA that was just going to go along. And, you know, even if it never overtook the PGA, because it could have been a strong number two. You know, just I think their goal, their goal was to, you know, find where they can make profit and whether that was live existing on its own or merging with the PGA. I think that was their ultimate goal when the opportunity presented itself to merge with the PGA. I mean, they obviously jumped on it, um, which was probably, you know, a smart move. Um, you know, just because PGA, it's like, you know, they've already got the name, they've already got the infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. You know, they've already got a lot of that talent. It's like, well, now you don't have to pay $400 million to Tiger Woods because, you know, now he's, he's in the fold. So, you know, cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of speculation on like whether that was their goal from the start to merge, because that is the case with, I think, some other kind of startup sports leagues, you know, they're like, okay, well, mm-hmm we'll just make enough noise and then maybe they'll absorb us and, you know, we'll go from there. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's just as likely that Liv wanted to actually just be their own thing, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, which could have worked. I mean, I think there, I think there's room in the world for two major golf organizations. Like, I don't think it has to be just one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, golf is a global sport. They play all over Mm -hmm. the world. They play in the, the Emirates, they play in Europe, all that. And you brought up a good point about some of the those other startup leagues. I mean, it's been a while, but uh, you know, back in the day, the ABA was eventually uh, acquired by the NBA. They got rid of right. a few teams, but they absorbed some of that. Uh, yeah, AFL, AFL and the NFL. Yeah, yeah. AFL and NFL yeah. merged. I think the AHL and the and the mm-hmm. NHL. I think they merged as well. There was like the original six or seven AHL teams yeah. that that joined the the NHL. So yeah, there's definitely a history. With like some MMA organizations and stuff like that too. You know, kind of might probably, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and um, hmm, lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else about the the um, all good about the mergers. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, it's it's a very common thing, and I think even outside of the sports world, you think about a tech startup or something like that. For the most part, their goal was to be acquired. It's like let's oh, yeah. make enough noise, let's take you know enough of these niche users, and then you know hopefully we'll get bought by. Google or yeah. Apple or Microsoft or whatever and get cashed out. But this was like the opposite situation where the bigger fish in terms of at least the pool of money was the one that, that ended up getting acquired. And I think it's because like you said, PGA has the history, has the name and mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to afford a tiger woods. If you are, if he's already in the fold, like you said, right. Oh, you know, I was, what I was you thinking know. was um, the sustainability of like two major golf leagues. I think, you know, also could have worked because golfers have a longer career. You know what I mean? It's not, mm. you know, the, the best players in the world can be that from 25 to age 50, you know? Um, so yeah. it's like, it's not, you know, like basketball where it's like, okay, you got this window from, you know, 19 to like, you know, 35 or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there there's a big enough talent pool, I think, in golf to where, you know, PGA could have had a lot of stars on their side. Liv could have had a lot of the stars on their side and it still would have worked. Um, and yeah, I mean, golf even has like the senior PGA tour. So maybe right. even older than 50, the live, they could have gotten some of these big names, you know, once they were older, maybe they didn't want to compete in like major tournaments or things, things like that. So they could have right, right. invited those guys. And we've seen the, 
ability of a, of a name, a big name to attract fans across different sports. Like, you know, with, with Messi coming to MLS, for example, a lot of people that have never watched an MLS game in their life mm-hmm. are going to be tuning in. They're going to be buying jerseys, going to games, stuff like that. So, you know, right. maybe li- live, maybe down the line, they say, we'll get the, the Messi of, of golf <laughs> in Tiger mm-hmm. Woods and have him join. But uh, yeah, anyway, so I think the, the one of the things or the angles here is that people have talked a lot about Saudi Arabia trying to do or attempting to do a, a form of sports washing. So I think in, it was either 2015 or 2016, uh, the, the new king of Saudi Arabia, uh, Mohammed bin Sultan, MBS, as he's known, kind of launched this initiative to modernize Saudi Arabia, to diversify their portfolio, to improve their public image. They did a couple things like, you know, allowing women to drive, opening their borders a little bit more, having stuff like WWE events mm-hmm. uh, and welcoming more, you know, foreign people to the, the the country, more European, Western folks. So what do you think of that as a criticism of Saudi Arabia and saying that the reason that they're buying, you know, Newcastle United or the reason that they're buying all these, you know, expensive soccer players and nationalizing a few of the teams and launching mm-hmm. Live Golf is a form of sports watching for people to overlook some of the things that you talked about with the human rights abuses and other things like that. What do you think of that criticism? Yeah. Um, when I hear that criticism, I think people, it's like they make it sound more sinister than what it might be. Um, I think that, you know, obviously there's a PR positive of being involved in sports, right? Um, you know, you look at on a smaller level, like Mark Cuban, right? Who would know who Mark Cuban was if he didn't own the Dallas Mavericks? He would be a rich tech guy, but, you know, he's become a celebrity from owning an NBA team. You know, he's got a cool factor to him now. He's on Shark Tank. You know, he makes movie cameos here and there. Like, that doesn't happen if he's most likely doesn't happen if he was just doing what he was doing to get rich in the first place and he didn't get involved in pro sports, right? Who would know who Jerry Jones is if he didn't own the Dallas Cowboys? He'd be some, you know, rich, I don't know, was he in oil? I'm not sure how he got rich. Yeah, um, oil, oil baron of some kind. Yeah, he'd be like a rich oil guy in Oklahoma, you know. But he owns the Dallas Cowboys, so he's on TV. He's in movies. He's, you know, he's a, he's a celebrity, right? Um, and, you know, everyone who's involved in the Saudi investment fund, everyone who's advising them, they, they know this. You know, they know that being involved in sports, yeah, it does help your image. Um, I don't think that it cleans up your image. You know, I don't think that we're in a world anymore where people like that they could be misinformed to the point where they don't know anything about Saudi Arabia, except they own some sports teams and they own a sports league, you know, like nobody you know, we know Cuba has a great baseball team, but we know so much more about Cuba. So them having a great baseball team doesn't make us overlook or forget anything else that's going on there. Um, I just mm-hmm. don't think we live in that kind of society anymore. You know, we have too much access to information. The media is too big at report, you know, reports on everything. So if that was a, if sports washing was a goal first, for Saudi in getting involved in this, I don't think that was a very realistic goal because it's not, you know, they're not going to sports wash, you know, everyone's going to still know, you know everyone's still going to think what they think about the country, you know, and they're going to yeah. have whatever opinions they already had 
them owning a soccer team is it going to change that you know um so and you know like when i watch the uh the wwe shows you know in saudi they do like these you know tourism ads and kind of these like psas about you know positive things that they're doing um which is to be expected i mean you know the same thing happens when wwe goes to you know philadelphia they'll do some like local you know hey come to philadelphia and visit right um that's just kind of normal stuff you know that goes on with sports and with entertainment um but but when people when they talk about sports washing they kind of make it seem like it's this underhanded you know thing that like oh they're trying to you know they're trying to get involved in golf so they can get away with all this other stuff they're doing and like i just don't think that's the case you know um you know, hosting the Olympics didn't sports wash China or Russia. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like Donald Sterling and Daniel Snyder, they didn't, you know, people didn't overlook or forget what they were doing because they mm-hmm. own sports teams. So it's not really, it might be a concept. It might be a goal. I just don't think it's a reasonable or realistic one today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that was, that might, that, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Their, yeah. It's like, it might be part of like, the overall like but it's a positive that mm-hmm. comes with it but i don't that can't be the overall goal yeah I, I think it might be one of the goals and I, there is definitely that pr aspect of it of wanting mm-hmm. to have some positive pr come out of your country uh mm-hmm. same thing like with like you mentioned china and russia didn't sports wash everything that that they do or or did since then but i, I do think there is some obviously it's part of their goal is to you know, like diversify their portfolio, but also to maybe not change public opinion, but give people something positive to say about Saudi Arabia, which, mm-hmm. you know, which for a long time, the main thing people talked about was of course, human rights abuses, nine 11, if you're in America and some of the other things that some of the stereotypes and stuff about the people in the country. So mm-hmm. I think that that is part of the goal. It's definitely not the only goal. And I think, like you said, it's not quite as, as sinister as some people want to paint it. And I think another way I, I look at it is kind of like Qatar with the World Cup is it's a means of like modernization, right? Mm-hmm. When you're opening your doors to other people, in case of the World Cup, you're literally welcoming the world into your country. There's things that you have to do to get up to speed with everyone else. You're going to have to modernize you know, your infrastructure, you're going to have to, maybe your society might change a little bit as a reflection of that. And in the case of Saudi Arabia with what MBS is trying to do and have Saudi Arabia catch up to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a, one of the means to do that, but it's not necessarily like a sinister thing. Like, Oh, everyone's going to forget right. that we're at war with Yemen because we have a golf league. Like it's, it's right. not how it works. You know what I mean? Or Russia, for example, like they're not going to worry about us trying to annex Crimea because we're hosting the Olympics. It's just, just something that happens. And it's something that as part of like a global, you know, sports fan or sports fan base, like these are things that you want to tap into and you want to be able to have some positive things being said about you, which is, again, is, is not, was not the usual when it came to Saudi Arabia. So. Yeah. And I think with some places, well, some places like Qatar, it's kind of like, it also might've been just a, Hey, it's okay to come here, you know, because, you know, I think a lot of people just kind of think, OK, I, I can't go over there, you know. And so it was just like a, and that's what, you know, some of the tourism ads like, you know, with Saudi Arabia, it's just like, you know, you might not think it's OK to come here, but like, no, it's OK, you know, you know, come along. Um, 
And another angle to look at it from is in some cases, you know, getting involved in big time sports like this actually is going to call more attention to whatever negativity is involved. It's a great point. You know, if, you know, if if Saudi Arabia wasn't involved in live golf, would we be talking about Saudi Arabian politics on ESPN? Like, you know, so if anything, like it kind of, it opens up um, the visibility of that country to people who weren't thinking about it. You know, I, I, I see the argument that, oh, well, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get involved in sports. So we're not focusing on, you know, human rights abuses. And I'm like, in all honesty, were you focusing on their human rights abuses in the first place? Or did you just start talking about it after they got involved in this, in, you know, these sports? So that could actually be a, you know, negative byproduct of Saudi getting involved in sports is that it actually calls more attention and has more people talking about the things that they don't want them talking about than, you know, we're talking about it before. So, yeah. And it can, and it can even flip into that positive because again, we use Qatar as an example is I think as a result of all of the attention that came from hosting the world cup and and trying to build these stadiums and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was super, uh, you know, unfortunate and tragic that, the migrant workers that lost their lives and were treated, you know, mistreated during the buildup to it. But, you know, as a result of that attention from everything I've read, that conditions there have gotten better because mm-hmm. people are looking, paying attention and, you know, they've made some changes to the their laws and regulations around the treatment of migrant workers and workers rights and things like that. So, you know, it, it can be a net positive at the end of the day. And I think with Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, if they are opening the doors to foreign investment a little more and to foreign people coming to their their uh, uh, country, it is going to lead to some modernization and some changes. You know, and, and the thing that you said in the beginning was was brilliant when you said, you know, we, we want to tell people that it's okay to come here. And I think you know Saudi Arabia and Qatar, <clears throat> they're probably looking at Dubai and all these celebrities and the tourism industry there. And Dubai has very similar laws to Saudi Arabia and Qatar. It's yeah. still a conservative country. They still have certain laws about uh, drugs and public displays of affection, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But people feel comfortable going there. So yeah. I'm sure that they're looking at that like, oh, we can get people to come here, too. We can get some more foreign investment and tourism. No, yeah. You see and, celebrities and just and just, you know, regular people just, you know, bragging on social media about, hey, we're going to Dubai. You know, <laughs> yeah. and but you don't really see that with like, you know, them going to Qatar or them going to Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, yeah. that could be, you know, part of it. Hundred percent. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how much money these guys have and the seemingly like unlimited funds they have at their disposal. We've seen crazy numbers thrown around, like them offering uh, Messi a $1.5 billion contract for uh, playing, you know, three or four years in Saudi Arabia. So could you see them doing this in other sports, maybe individual sports like another tennis league or pickleball, who knows, (laughs) or maybe another team sport like them taking over more teams in, you know, France or Spain or even the U.S. Who knows? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, you know, kind of once once you get into that sports world and, you know, everyone, you know, sports is a major moneymaker. It's a, you know, very lucrative, you know, entertainment source. And there's a lot of money involved in it. And you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, as much as, you know, 
tourism and good public relations and all that. But the Saudi investment fund is an investment fund and they're trying to make money. <laughs> and um, that's a good place to go, you know. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I could see, you know, further involvement in soccer. Um, you know, they're going to obviously be having more involvement in golf. But, yeah, you could, you know, make you into other sports. I mean, you know, be- you know, basketball, football, um, you know, baseball, like, yeah, some of these kind of like up and coming kind of niche sports like pickleball. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of the I think possibilities might be kind of endless, you know, because they've got the money and, you know, yeah, and exactly. every and even the most profitable sport in the world is always going to be looking for ways to you know get involved with people who have a lot of money so mm-hmm. yeah you know and and i think if you know the pga live thing goes well and you know the soccer teams that they own you know do well that's just going to open more doors and that's going to be that's going to allow for more leagues and organizations and sports to be like okay you know like we're like yeah we'll we'll, we'll work with you um yeah exactly yeah, maybe yeah, you know, maybe as far as like the bad publicity or, you know, negative backlash, maybe the majority of it happens with this golf thing. And then after that, there's more of an acceptance because yeah. it just becomes part of it. Just It becomes normalized. It just becomes part of, OK, well, yeah, they're, you know, they're here now. They're not going anywhere. So exactly. Let's, I think let's bring them into our sport. Yeah, I think that glass ceiling or whatever you want to call it has been broken. Right. I mean. The, there was a lot of outrage and, and backlash when they bought Newcastle United, but mm. they bought them. They took their, now they're a champions league team. And I'm sure uh, if they're going to do the same in some of the other leagues, they probably can't own two leagues or two, two teams in England. But if they buy a team in Spain or Germany or wherever, I mean the, the, again, that glass ceiling has been broken. There's already an acceptance of it. Maybe it's just the, the outrage is going to be a little bit less every time. And then I think about, the NBA or NFL or MLB, you know, maybe they buy stakes in, a, in the league itself or maybe they buy stakes in certain teams. I don't know if we'll ever see – maybe we're a long way from them being like a the, the controlling owners of a team. I don't see mm-hmm. them being like in a Mark Cuban type role where they're the visible owners. I think they understand some of the PR aspects of that where mm-hmm. they might just throw some money at it. I think – and I think the NBA is, is a good example of being the most global – of those sports and more the most willing to accept some of that outside investment. I think they have a preseason game. I want to say in the Emirates or something like that. I remember reading mm-hmm. something about this. So I think maybe out of those three, probably the NBA that's, that's the most willing to take on some of that, that Saudi investment money. Yeah. And I think, you know, and you brought up them doing it in other countries too. I mean, I think that's probably more likely. I mean, I think America was going to be kind of the toughest the, the thickest glass ceiling to break through just because of, you know, American sentiment towards Saudi Arabia, American sentiment towards Muslims, um, towards Muslim majority countries. Um, and so I think, you know, now that they, well, you know, getting involved in more American sports, American leagues, like the PGA, um, after that is kind of done, then yeah, it'll open up for more sports. But yeah, I also think like them getting involved in more countries too is like a, a um, higher likelihood as well. Yeah, that that seal has been broken, like mm-hmm. you said with the PGA. They're already here, so and, mm-hmm. and money talks, especially in sports. 
Like right. I said, the most profitable sports leagues in the world. The NFL is printing money, but they could always use some investment, some more broadcast rights. Maybe they have a exclusive broadcast deal in Saudi Arabia for all the expats or something like that. Yeah. Who knows what they might do? So um, we mentioned that you are the founder and, and an admin of uh, – founder and editor, sorry, of MuslimSportsTalk.com. Mm-hmm. I've read a couple of your articles there. It's great stuff. I really like the angle that you take, especially as a, as a Muslim myself, just having that, that Muslim – outlook on sports but obviously it's not the only thing that, that determines your perspective but why don't you tell us about a little bit about the site and some of the the work that you've been doing there um yeah i um see so yeah, i launched the site um a few years ago now um kind of after i you know converted myself um and just felt like it was you know i wanted to kind of find a way to um use what i'm good at which was you know sports writing sports editing you know sports content um but with this you know new um you know religion i did embrace in this lifestyle and just kind of i wanted to blend those things together you know and i kind of saw it as like my way of you know spreading the word about islam i mean you know we're all called upon to you know do our dawah and you know tell people about the religion. I was like, well, this is kind of the best way I'm going to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the, the, um, you know, thought process behind launching the site. Um, yeah. And over the years I kind of been, it's been like really like, um, having, I don't know, off and on, I guess I'd say like some periods where I'm doing a lot of content and some periods where it's kind of dry. Um, just due to, I mean, when I first started to life, <laughs> do the life. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, when I first started, I didn't have any kids and now I have three. So it's like, you know, just you're busy and you know, you have another full-time job and yeah. Um, but you know, just kind of more recently, um, you know, I did a rebranding, um, of the site and kind of, um, you know, shifted some of the angles I want to take and kind of talking a little bit more about, you know, sports in general and not, everything being about like Muslim athletes, you know, and kind of talking about more, you know, always featuring, you know, featuring Muslim athletes, but also talking about, um, you know, topics in general sports that you could kind of put an Islamic spin on. Um, so, you know, hopefully with that, I mean, just, you know, be able to get a lot more content out there. You're looking to do more stuff with, you know, videos and features and more interviews and things like that. Um, so yeah, you know that's the uh, kind of the the gist of it, you know, and some of the yeah, it's uh, it's really cool coming up, yeah, yeah. So I mean, as um, as like I said, as a Muslim, it's it's cool to see that, and it's something that you know I try to do is kind of I mean, it's it's your identity, so that's how you're going to see things, that's how you're going to interpret things, and it's one of the things about like diversity of thought and diversity of identity that yeah. you bring your own perspective to things, and of course, you know, as Muslims we're going to have a certain outlook on things for the most part, you know? Um, and I think there, there was a, a podcast we did a, a while back for Eid. I think you'd enjoy, it was a, a Muslim like NBA fantasy draft. I just, I just my... listened to that about like two oh, days ago. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I, I thought that was like a really <laughs> cool idea. Yeah. And I mean, I was sitting there, I was listening to the episode and I'm like, like, like pick this guy. Like, you know, I was like listening along with you guys <laughs> and I'm trying to like, you know, cause I also, I know the NBA pretty well and I'm sitting there like, no, like, why'd you pick him? You know, you could have like could have went in this direction and I'm like putting together my own team and everything. But yeah, that was like, that was a really cool episode. I really, I really like that one. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do a, a redo with you on as well. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I'd love to collaborate with you in the future uh, on future sure. pods and, and some you know features and things like that. would be really cool. 
So thank you for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you on Twitter and maybe share the, the URL for your site as well? Oh, yeah. You can find me um, on Twitter and Instagram, just at Amar Burton, um, A-M-A-A-R Burton. Um, and then the URL for the site is just uh, MuslimSportsTalk.com. Yeah, make sure you check it out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure you uh, subscribe and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can find us on just about every social media platform at 4040VisionPod. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Amar. Appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Big shout out once again to Omar Burton of MuslimSportsTalk.com and The Ringer for coming on the podcast today. We have all kinds of great content planned for you this summer. Even though we're going through a bit of a lull when it comes to sports, there's still plenty of things to talk about and we'll have plenty of amazing podcasts coming out every week. And we hope to have a bunch of 4040 shorts coming out every week as well. So make sure you click that subscribe button wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks, y'all. Peace out.